0: The Sportsman's Nation is a 2% for conservation certified business, and on August 21st, you can join other conservationists all over the world in supporting Community Conservation Day. It's a day for anyone to give their time and or dollars back to their local ecosystems and favorite conservation causes. For more information on how you can participate, visit fishandwildlife.org.
1: On today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit more turkey hunting. And this may be the last turkey season episode. Just because I know a lot of you guys are pretty much on the tail end of turkey season. Up here in the upper Midwest, It's, I'd say it's about half over. There's a couple seasons that spill into June a little bit. But for me, this last couple weeks of May is when really I get a lot. I would say maybe not even a lot, but most of my turkey hunting in for the entire year. And it hasn't always been that way, but I found that when you get later and later into May... this late season turkey hunting number one the hunting pressure drops down pretty significantly you can often find leftover tags in a lot of states pretty readily available and easy to get and the turkey action can be pretty good a lot of the hens are pretty much on their nests so they might be grouped up with toms right off the roost but then they will quickly leave and you can find toms that are very receptive to calling throughout kind of late morning midday even early afternoon as we'll talk about a little bit in this episode So I'll talk about our recent hunt this last weekend when Sam shot her first public land bird, what kind of went into that, and also strategy-wise talk about really how I plan on capitalizing on these last two weeks, which I think, you know, could be very well the best of the turkey hunting season in the upper Midwest. Before diving right in, I'll do a quick ad for Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is a service which gives you deer movement prediction based on machine learning. What does that mean and how does it work? Well, in a nutshell, year's worth of data, primarily from collared deer studies across the country, is fed into what's called a neural network. Essentially, it's computers that analyze the data and look for patterns. Those patterns might be increased or decreased movement based on rain, humidity, wind speed, temperatures, or a variety of other factors. Those factors might impact deer differently based on what region of the country it's taken from. And the computers don't really care why deer move more or less on certain conditions. They just recognize what happens and then apply those patterns to future outcomes for general deer movement. Spartan Forge is currently web-based, but an application is currently in the works, will be beta tested shortly, and likely will be released close to the hunting season. Use the code DIY for a discount on a Spartan Forge membership. Alright, so turkey hunting late season versus other times of the year. Everybody, it seems like for the most part, or at least a lot of people, like to get those early season tags because the birds have been pressured. Not a lot of the birds have been shot yet. So if there's, you know, five gobblers in a certain piece of public land, you got a better chance of getting one of them when there's still five there versus later in the season when there might only be one or two left or perhaps zero and you got to find a new place. But I think there's definitely some advantages to hunting in the later seasons. And part of that is just hunting pressure related. And one important distinction here is that Hunting pressure itself is oftentimes much lower during the later seasons. You know, you got people that are transitioning oftentimes to fishing because a lot of the fishing openers are around mid-May or so. So I think that's a big part of it. Uh, But also, you know, the days are long. Everything's pretty greened up. People can't see as far. And for a lot of people, even though turkey hunting can be a very auditory thing, people like to be able to see if they feel like their chances are higher when they can see through the woods. And then once everything's greened up to where you can't see, you know, but 15, 20, 30 yards in the woods, if you're not hearing birds gobble, it can be a little bit uh, overwhelming in terms of knowing what to do. So I think that probably plays a role as well. And uh, certainly the mosquitoes, once they come into full force, aren't helping matters out. So definitely later seasons, you have less hunting pressure in the woods. But what you've also got is you've got a scenario where, The birds have been pressured now for several weeks throughout the season. You know, for example, Minnesota, I'll be doing my first Minnesota hunt this coming weekend, which would be what, uh, May 22nd and 23rd. And the first seasons in Minnesota are are usually around mid-April. So these birds have been pressured now for over a month. And very often you'll find them in different locations and doing different things than they would have been doing in the early seasons. So I almost don't even, for that reason, do a whole lot of scouting in the earlier seasons. I sort of just deer scout, honestly, during that time frame. And then once it gets closer to the later seasons, when I'm going to be doing a lot of the tricky hunting, that's when I'll start to get out and start listening for birds, start checking for sign, looking for gobbler tracks versus hen tracks and things like that to kind of get myself into the game and get that real-time info to be able to go off of as opposed to trying to figure something out a month in advance or two, three weeks in advance, and then it's no longer valid in a lot of the places in, let's say Southwest Wisconsin or Southeast Minnesota, these places that are just well known for having a lot of turkeys. They're more hilly, bluffy type country. I guess you could lump even like Northeast Iowa, maybe even uh, some areas of Illinois or Missouri. And I'm speaking Midwest because that's just what I know. These types of areas, because they're well known for turkey hunting, the places that do have public land tend to get hit pretty hard and there's a legitimate reduction in bird numbers from the beginning seasons to the, the later seasons. You know, even one of the places that I went down and tried hunting in Iowa this year, there were probably, well, of the birds that I knew about, there's probably three or four on like one particular piece of public. But I know in like the week prior to that, there was two that got killed and I'm assuming that before that even happened, there might've been, you know, what, two, three, four birds that have been killed. And the, the number of hens still alive at that point is much greater than the number of gobblers still existing. So you got your work cut out for you, but there's one big advantage despite all those disadvantages. And that is that even though there's more hens than those gobblers remaining, the hens pretty much have full nest by this point in time. So they're basically going to hang with those gobblers for just a shorter amount of time in the early morning, you know, early seasons, you might have those, you know, smaller flocks where maybe you got two, three toms, three, four hens, and it can be tough to break up those birds and be able to get them to do what you want to do. And oftentimes things that work good in those scenarios might be, you know, sitting field edges when you're able to, uh, set up a couple of decoys and get the more, I guess, uh, pecking order type of response by pulling those birds in. Whereas if you're out running and getting in the woods, it can be hard to get that whole flock to to sort of do what you want it to do. But later in those seasons, you might have those toms that will start off with the hens right away. And if you can get over the desire to maybe just want to hunt right off the roost, then I feel like your odds just get better almost as the morning goes on. And as that day goes on, Because those hens will eventually leave the gobblers, go off to their nests. And even in fields, you might find like, oh, I can see, you know, two, three times out in this open field. And maybe there's like one or two hens that go out and maybe they they breed with the gobbler and then they go off to to nest. And then those birds are left all on their own once again. Because of work schedules, if I want to go out on a weekday, unless I'm taking a day of PTO, it pretty much means I only get to hunt the roost. And if you're right tied up on those birds... I've had good success by just kind of getting where they want to go and you almost don't even have to call in that scenario because they can fly right down and and hopefully fingers crossed, they pretty much walk right through that strut zone that you're set up on and you're going to get a shot. But if you miss that opportunity, man, it can be really tough to to kind of steer those birds in a different direction because oftentimes right off the roost, they're still going to have hens with them and trying to get those hens to do what you want to do, while it can be done, uh, oftentimes, especially if that hen starts responding to you and you just keep that conversation going and kind of mimic what she's doing, that can work. I've had it work, but it's, it's definitely not a high odds type of thing. So you can kind of keep tabs on the birds throughout the morning and just kind of follow them around. And the hope then is that you're able to basically not get the gobbler to respond every time you try and do a calling sequence. But if you hang around in that general area and you just kind of sit quietly, maybe call every now and then, maybe that bird gobbles on his own. Maybe he gobbles to one of the hens that's with him. You can keep tabs on them and just kind of generally keep up with what they're doing. And then at a certain time throughout the morning, there's a high likelihood that that gobbler, assuming he's just one all by himself uh, that had some hens first thing in the morning, there's going to be a point in time when he becomes alone all again. His last hand has left him and he might start gobbling up on his own. And as soon as that happens, he can be really susceptible to coming into a call. Uh, like this This weekend, that was a prime example of, you know, one in the afternoon, there's two toms all by themselves, pretty good chance that they didn't have hands with him at that time of the day and were able to call him in from a really long distance away because, you know, what better thing did they have to do at 1 in the afternoon than to check out this uh, possible opportunity for a hen that was ready to be bred. So one of the things I wanted to do on this episode is do kind of a more specific hunt breakdown of how Sam shot her first public land bird and just kind of explain some of the things that we might not have even explained in the video. So, If you haven't seen the video yet on the YouTube channel, we do have a a full hunt posted where Sam is able to basically kill her first public land, Tom. Last year, she shot her first turkey at any place. It was a piece of private land and we were able to kill one right off the roost in the morning. But this one, we definitely had to work for it. It was a lot of sifting through some more dead zones to find little pockets of birds and then just using it, you know, the best strategy that we could, the best calling that we could to make something happen. So to set the stage for this, a lot of the hunting that we had been doing was a little bit closer to our home, you know, in that 40 to 50 minute drive range where you're getting up at, you know, 2.45, 3 o'clock to get set up underneath a, a set of roosted birds But what we're running into is that on a lot of these pieces of public lands, because they've been pressured for so many weeks now throughout the season, that just about every bird that we were getting on was roosted in a place that you just couldn't quite get to on public. Maybe they'd actually be roosting on the private. Maybe they'd be roosting in a section of public where you just really didn't have a great opportunity to be able to get in there. And then they fly down and work their way onto a private field. And, you know, again, at that point in time throughout the day, if you're not, able to kind of follow them around, eventually you might lose them. And if you're out there all day, yeah, sure. You might be able to get a chance that, you know, 11 AM, 1 PM, 3 PM, they work their way back onto public and you get that opportunity. That's absolutely a possibility. But what we wanted to do is try and find a place that perhaps had lower numbers of hunters, lower hunting pressure in general, and maybe that was going to come along with, you know, lower populations of turkeys. A less turkey rich, just kind of habitat in general, uh, and also more room to roam. I just, so many times this year I've run into scenarios where the bird is just across the property line and I'm not able to make a move and I just feel like I'm totally at their mercy. And so we went and searched out and picked an area that had, you know, literally thousands of acres of public land accessible and roads that kind of, you know, intersect and run through and would give us the opportunity to drive around and check for sign on the the sides of roads, be able to drive around and look for potential areas with, you know, good-looking roost trees, ridges, anything that might stand out as being a more turkey-like looking area. And what it was also going to allow us to do was actually camp, because, you know, that extra 45 minutes that we were driving to get to some of these places, when you're roosting birds at night and then you're hunting them the next morning, And then you're doing the same thing over and over again. The days are so short, that man, that extra hour and a half that we would be getting from basically camping in the same lands that we'd be hunting was definitely a welcome amount of extra sleep. So we picked out the area, we drove out there the night before our hunt was going to start. And we just started checking out some of the road areas. And every time that we saw an area that had something similar to what we've seen birds roosting in in the past, we drop a pin. And so this is a lot of, pretty flat land for the most part, sandy soil and a mixture of little pockets of pine plantations, normal, just kind of big woods, Northern Wisconsin hardwoods and also clear cut areas that just didn't have that mature timber. And it was just almost, you know, let's say 15 foot canopy height, just much smaller timber in general. And what I have found in places like this in the past is that the birds oftentimes, and not always, but oftentimes tend to roost in three types of areas. Number one would be if there's water around, oftentimes I would find them roosting close to water. Number two, on some of those pine plantations, if the the pines are tall enough, and if they had limbs that were coming out horizontally higher up in those trees, very often I've seen birds using those as roosting locations. And the third place would be big oaks. So especially if you had big oaks that were on, say like a a major ridge, or big oaks that were in more of a creek bottom type of an area, both of those would be definite places to look too. So we basically just drove around and started dropping pins wherever we'd find these areas, and that you know took a few hours of the evening. And we just decided, okay, let's go back to a few of these, try and roost some birds, and we'd have a couple opportunities. So we hit up the most promising looking spots and between utilizing an owl hooter and coyote howling that I have gotten somewhat decent at on the the mouth call. We couldn't get anything to gobble. So that meant next morning, we're basically going to be picking a spot that once again, just kind of seemed like it may give us a good starting point. We had an area that we had seen uh, some hens walking across the road. We had a couple areas that we saw uh, turkey tracks in the sand on the side of the road. And so that was one of the places we we picked that had a lot of room to roam. It had a Creek bottom that we could kind of utilize. And it just seemed like it had a decent opportunity. There lots of walking trails to be able to easily cover miles. The morning started off, nothing gobbling, covered some ground, kept doing owl hooting, nothing, nothing, no tracks in the sand, no scratching on the side of the trail, no turkey feathers, no uh, drag marks from wingtips. And without that sign actually there, we just started walking at a, you know, pretty good clip uh, and just trying to cover ground at that point. Eventually, maybe, you know, an hour to the morning, we finally heard the first gobble, super faint. And we had a direction at least. So we cut that by, I don't know, another quarter mile, uh, tried to get the bird to respond again, eventually could, got another bead, worked a little bit closer, did some more calling and you know, long story short here, we got to where we pretty much had a very reasonable idea of where the bird was at. And it was in kind of a swampy, you know, river bottom type of an area where you just had these little pockets of ground that were, you know, say five feet elevation higher than everything else. And on those little pockets of higher ground, you would have these big, mature oaks and other hardwoods. Whereas on the, once you got off of those little ridges, it was all just swamp. And so what we figured these birds were doing is just staying up on those little pockets and those little ridges within the, the kind of river bottom swampy area. And I mean, these places just look really nice underneath the canopy, nice green, lush, uh, grass. You could see a long ways in them. They just look like really good, you know, turkey strut zones where you could just picture a couple of times just sitting back in, in there and, and strutting around, so we we got to there, did some calling and there's campsites back there just kind of uh, sporadically scattered throughout the area. And these birds are gobbling really close to where one of these campsites was. And we get back into there and all of a sudden you just hear this pounding, like somebody's just hammering in tent stakes for like 5 minutes. And and that of course shut the gobbling down. And what it was, I'm sure it was just, you know, people had pulled in and We're setting up a campsite at eight, nine in the morning, whenever this was. So we did a big loop around all this, got to one of those high ground areas, let things calm down a little bit, started calling, eventually got a bird to respond and he wasn't that far off, maybe 200 yards. Tried to get him to come over to our high ground little island, no dice. Tried moving over to one island kind of closer to him. We had a pretty good idea of which actual spot he was on, but didn't want to walk up right onto the same little high ground chunk that he was on, knowing that he was very likely to spot us if we would have done that. So we just got closer, started calling, and, and by the time he finally responded again, man, it seemed like he was further away, far enough away that it made us wonder, is that the same bird or is that a different one? Well, come to find out, we get closer to the actual river that was in this river bottom, And the bird had flown across. So he was now 200 yards away, at least, uh, on this other shoreline. And knowing that uh, whatever made him fly over there was probably a strong enough attractor that trying to get him to fly back is a pretty long shot. So we decided pretty much at that point that if we didn't hear any other birds on our side of the river for the next half hour or so of listening and calling that we were going to go drive to a different area. And that was what we ended up doing. We didn't hear anything else gobbling in that spot, but we marked it for future reference and we started driving to a different area. Now, fortunately, this second area that we drove to had much better Turkey sign almost immediately. When we got out of the truck on the Sandy soil, we were able to see fresh Tom tracks, hen tracks, uh, some drag marks from a strutting bird. And that was a big confidence boost right away. The timber itself looked like you had some really nice pockets of just kind of open, mature hardwoods with more of an open understory that looked like it could be great roosting type habitat, but also mixed with areas where it was a lot thicker in general. And so we kept following the stuff back. Got a bird to respond. Okay, great. We're, we're getting close to that one because it's 11 a.m. at this point. And 11 a.m. That that's starting to get into that magic window where if a bird gobbles on his own, there's a good chance he's he's just lost his hen and he's looking for another one. So we started cutting closer to where this bird had gobbled from, and we're just sneaking through, trying to be quiet, not making any noise. And sure enough, we get through an area and bump a hen, uh, and that I don't know where she went, but but she was fairly spooked when she ran off, and. I mean, we weren't that far away from where that bird was gobbling at this point. So it definitely wasn't a good thing that we, that we spooked that particular bird. But we decided that it was worth setting up and doing a calling sequence anyway because the place where we kicked this hen up, it was really close to a nesting area. And we could tell that just because we got into a pocket of timber where there was just a ton of scratching uh, through the more open hardwood area. And then it was adjacent to an area that was very thick up on the top of a ridge, uh, thick enough. It was like an old clear cut, had a lot of, you know, briars and and grass and, and things like that where, I mean, you can't see, you know, 10 yards through it. And then the hens, oftentimes you'll see them nesting in those types of areas. So we got on the edge of that and set up our decoy and did a couple calling sequences, probably stayed there for a good hour. And at one point we did call in another hen, and she got to about 10 yards and I don't know if she saw the camera or if she saw us or if she saw her, her Jake decoy that we had sitting out there and you know, something she didn't like. So before she ever fully got out of the thick stuff, she turned around and went back to where she came from. And at that point we decided, okay, let's, uh, you know, we hadn't heard the the bird gobble anymore since then. So he either, number one had a hen that he met up with Or number two, that whole, you know, point in time where we spooked that that other hen, uh, that created enough of a a little fiasco there that that shut them down for a little bit. So we did some more scouting, worked around this ridgeline that we were hunting on, and we got to the point of it, man, it started to look really good. Like just historical spots that we've been in where turkeys like to roost in hillier type of country, this looked like that, even though a lot of the land around was... You know somewhat flat. This is a nice little creek bottom, elevation on both sides, fairly open timber, lots of scratching on the sides of the hill. There's a couple of little dust uh, bowl spots on the side of the hill too. And we, we actually walked up on a dead Jake. Uh, I couldn't find any evidence that the bird had been shot with either an arrow or a shotgun. Not exactly sure what uh, had killed him, but it wasn't really you know predated on much the most of the meat was pretty much untouched. So I'm not exactly sure what caused that particular bird to die. But again, it was one of those things that just kind of strengthened like this is a a more Turkey dense area. And maybe there's only, you know, a few birds that are using it, but it's better than, you know, some of the other areas that we had been in earlier that morning. And we got up onto a little flat area, pretty, pretty much a bench where on the backside of us, we had that thicker clear cut grown up area where, we presume that some of those hens are probably nesting, but we had this nice, beautiful open lane out on this bench in front of us that, you know, just nice, short green grass. And right on the edge of it, it dropped off fairly steep to get down into this Creek bottom. And so we're, you know, trying to figure out, okay, do we want to basically set up on the lip of this thing to where we can see down on the edge of the hill, or do we want to work our way, you know, back up the base of the bench a little bit and stay away from uh, the edge. There's there's kind of pros and cons to each scenario. If you pull yourself back far enough, then you're hoping that the birds come all the way up onto that bench, come looking for you, and then you're able to shoot them. But the uh, potential downside with doing that is very often you'll find yourselves in scenarios. And I had this happen when we were hunting down in Iowa where those birds will work up their way onto that side hill and you'll hear them gobbling. You'll hear them drumming. And they're just like right there. You need them to take like a couple more steps and then they kind of get a little bit quiet and they just kind of work their way on that, that hill back and forth. And then eventually they drift off. I don't know if they're just basically waiting for that hen to work her way on that bench and drop onto their level. I mean, I'm sure that's probably what they're hoping for, but you know, for whatever reason, they have that in their mind. And if it doesn't happen, then they're just gone. And then you're kicking yourself in those scenarios thinking like, man, I should have just, uh, you know, snuck up to the edge of that lip. I would have been able to see him, or or you could have just stood up. Sometimes you feel like there's only like a little bit of dirt separating you from being able to actually see the bird that's within shotgun range already. And the other option is to basically sit on the side hill and be able to shoot effectively down the hill or up onto the bench. The downside with that is if that bird sees you before you see it, uh, which is fairly likely because they're going to be peering up the edge of that uh, hill before they start walking up it, I mean that pretty much blows your cover right there. So the advantage of sitting up on the bench is that by the time the bird could see you, you're likely going to be able to see it pretty easily and it's going to be in gun range. That's your ideal setup right there to use the, the terrain to your advantage. So in this particular scenario, That's what we decided to do because especially having seen and called in that one hen in that thicker area, presuming that that likely meant that there were hens nesting in that thick stuff up on top of that, the crest of that ridge, then we wanted to position ourselves right there. The other thing that it gave us was really good back cover and even a little bit of like overhead cover because, you know, one in the afternoon, the sun was beating down pretty good. So We didn't want to just be basically sitting out against a barren tree. So we got good cover. It's backed up against this area that hens are likely going to be naturally. And it's going to force the birds to come up onto this nice open lane that just, you know, it had turkey sign on it, had scratching on it. It seemed like a place that the birds are probably working and using on their own anyway. So it just kind of made sense in that scenario to sit where we did, as opposed to sitting on the hill. And. We went ahead, did a calling sequence for the first calling sequence. I actually stood right up on the the edge of that lip so I could call out over the valley and have that sound carry a little bit further. Nothing responded to us right away, but after, I don't know, 10 minutes or so, we heard a couple of faint gobbles, you know, just barely audible. And so once we heard that I started calling and did a nice long sequence during which it appeared that the birds gobbled again. While I was calling, you know, I kind of transitioned from yelping to, to quick cutting. That was when the, the birds, you know, triggered their gobble again. And so I finished off with a few more yelps and I kind of confirmed with Sam, like, did you hear the birds gobble? You know, while we were calling, she said, yeah, i pretty sure I heard them. I'm like, okay, well, that probably means that number one, they heard us, which is, you know, it means that there's not really a strong reason for us to move towards them. Whereas early in the morning, if those birds might have still been with hens, it makes sense to cut the distance down and keep tabs on them, you know, get close. But in this scenario, these birds probably, you're at least hoping by this time of day that they're all on their own. And so if they know where you are and they're gobbling, there's a good chance that they could come in. And it's like, okay, let's uh, let's just stay quiet for a little bit. They might uh, start working their way in silently. And we waited for a good 10 minutes, maybe 15. I didn't really look at the the watch or anything, but we just decided okay let's uh, let's just check in on them some nice quiet calls first because if they are close, then you know we don't want to basically over call or, or call with too much volume at that point. Uh, so we'll start quiet and then increase the volume if needed. And I did just a couple of softer yelps. And sure enough, those birds responded and they were, they had cut the distance dramatically. They were basically right at the base of this hill, uh, about to work their way up. So we got ready. I, I turned on the rest of the cameras and Sam you know, got her gun ready. She was pointing at the, the lane in front of us. And 30 seconds later, you could hear footsteps. You could hear those birds working through the leaves, working their way up onto this ridge. And yeah, they worked their way right up. And basically gave us a, a nice clear shot at you know probably I don't know 18 20 yards and and Sam just absolutely blasted the the first time and you know it was pretty much a perfect shot from what we could tell they they did get spooked uh, for whatever reason you can tell in the video footage that they were coming in the, the couple of birds were in kind of half strut as they were first coming in and then As they started to walk out in this open grass lane where we had this nice wide open shooting lane, they came out of strut and started uh, a little bit of nervous putting. And that was about when Sam shot. So I don't know if they saw us. Uh, We did still have the, the decoy out at that one point just to give those birds some kind of a visual once they got on that flat to take their attention off of us. So maybe they saw that and there was something they didn't like there. But regardless, it didn't matter because they were in range at that point. There was a clear shooting lane and we had a bird on the ground. Uh, we discussed prior to that in that scenario, that if Sam shot a bird that we would at least see if I had the opportunity to shoot the second one. So I cut this out of the, the footage because I didn't think it added much value, but after she shot the first bird, I did a couple fighting purrs just to see if that other bird would come back. But I mean, he was, uh, he was pretty spooked when that uh, shotgun went off. Uh, so that was pretty much the, the end of that. So it was a, a pretty fun hunt overall and, and, uh, I'm pretty happy that Sam was using the shotgun instead of me cause she was just, you can tell in the video, she was really excited. Um, she was shaken for probably five, 10 minutes after, you know, she pulled the trigger and it was just a, a great experience all around. She made the comment too, that in comparison to the hunt that we did last year where she killed that bird right off the roost. And it wasn't her first day hunting. We had hunted a whole day prior to that where we weren't able to get on anything. And then she killed it the next morning first thing. Her comment was that this time around, it was much more fun and, and sort of rewarding for her to have those birds just come into our calling in the middle of the day than it was just sitting and killing one right out the roost. So I, I was really glad that she got to experience that. It's, it's sort of like the, the cat and mouse game that can be the most fun part of turkey hunting in that, you know, there's a a gazillion different ways to to kill turkeys from calling them in to, you know, basically, you know, deer hunting them based on their patterns to reaping them in fields, you know, you name it. Uh, but being able to call one in midday in, you know, thick woods is pretty dang exciting. and It makes you feel like you've you've sort of played a big role in sort of creating your own luck. Uh, so definitely it's uh it's a memory that'll stay with us for a while. And that's basically the same type of strategy that we're going to continue to employ across these next couple of, of seasons to finish out the month of May. So that means every time that we possibly can, we're going to try and roost birds. And if we've, if it's like a multi-day hunt and we know that in the mornings they're in a certain area that's where we're going to do our, our roosting and if we can get just a pinpoint location then that's fantastic news because that means that we can be basically in the driver's seat for the next morning and my roost percentage is, is pretty low in terms of if I have one roosted actually being able to kill the bird In in Iowa we were unsuccessful we had a birds we almost were set up on on them perfectly you know they flew down this this happened twice this happened when I was hunting with Shane and this happened when I went back down there on my own and was hunting with Sam where you can literally see the birds fly out of the trees you're set up on you know the crest of a ridge and the birds just kind of work their way around on the side hill and never crest up over the top where you get that clear shooting lane and then they gradually work their way off so it's far from a guarantee but If we're able to effectively follow those birds around, then at least we have, you know, sort of a starting point. And the nice thing about number one, roosting the birds at night or just listening in the bottom or listening in the morning is that we might be able to get say one bird to gobble once at night. And that might just give us a starting point. We sit there in the morning And in the morning, the birds are more active. You can hear, let's say, three different birds gobbling. And you can mark those locations to where if we are unsuccessful on that first bird, then we have backup plans B and C to be able to go after throughout the day. And so that can definitely up the odds, certainly, just by being in the right area. When we kicked off this particular hunt, where we started that first morning, it was Far enough from any turkeys that we didn't hear anything gobbling. Whereas, after we had kind of hunted throughout the day and found the new sign and whatnot, like if we were to go back there in for a second trip pretty shortly here, then it would be much easier for us to have a good starting location based on the intel that we had learned during this last trip. So, definitely being in the right spot at the right time uh, for roosting gives you a really great head start, and then just being in the right area. And just hunting all day. That's it, it, when you look at the people that uh, are successful year after year. And I'm I'm talking about I guess guys that you can go and just watch their strategies pretty regularly. Like the the people that post their content, like Catman or like Dave Owen, Shane Simpson. One of the common themes is that you'll see these guys. They're putting a lot of time in the woods, and they're doing a lot of all day hunts, and they kill a lot of their birds. At you know any given time throughout the day, sometimes it's on the roost, but it could be at 3 pm. It could be at noon, uh, THP, I don't know think I mentioned them, but they're in the same boat. They're spending a lot of time in the woods. Number one, you see and learn things when you're putting that much time in the woods. But number two, just being out there, even if the birds aren't responding, like you can literally just sit in a good turkey area that has a lot of sign and just sit there silently and, and at some point you might have a bird that just decides to start gobbling on his own. And then now you're in the game. So it's, it's definitely something that you can look to take advantage of and your days are super long. So even though you're losing some sleep at night, you know, going to bed at ten, ten thirty after you roosted birds and get back to your campsite or your house. And then you're waking up at three in the following morning. You can basically just take naps in the woods, make up that uh, lost sleep. And it always seems like when we take naps in the woods, you're aware and awake enough that, uh, you get good kind of restful naps, but you hear a bird gobble and you're kind of dozed off and it pops you right back into, uh, to full alertness. So being out there is, is really the key. So that'll probably do it for this episode. Keep it short and sweet. If you guys have any other, uh, turkey hunting related tips for the late season, I'd love to hear what you guys have been successful doing and what your favorite tactics are like i mentioned this is probably the last turkey episode that we'll do and start transitioning back into some more deer hunting related content and i think even from a video perspective if we get some more kills on video over these next couple weeks and start posting them uh still yet in may or june probably just hold on to that footage until next spring and just start releasing that uh, content in you know say like march or april next year so should be fun looking forward to these next couple weeks of turkey hunting and a little bit of you know deer scouting while i'm out there and just kind of aware of my surroundings that'll do it for this episode as always make sure to follow the sportsman's nation on facebook instagram and youtube leave us a review on itunes and if you're looking for additional content subscribe to diy sportsman and with that thanks for listening